0: Welcome to the Company of Dads podcast, where we explore the sweet, silly, strange, and sublime aspects of being a lead dad in a world where men who are the go-to parent aren't always accepted at work among their friends or in the community for what they're doing. I'm your host, Paul Sullivan. Our podcast is just one of the many things we produce each week at the Company of Dads. We have various features, including the Lead Dad of the Week and an ongoing series called Lead Dad Diaries. We have our community with both online and in-person events. And we have a new resource library for all fathers. The one-stop shop for all of this is our newsletter, The Dad. So sign up today at thecompanyofdads.com backslash the dad. Today, my guest is Chris Mahalik, the CEO of Virgin Pulse, a healthcare tech company. I came across Chris's story on LinkedIn. In 2005, he lost his job, got divorced, and his dog died. As a single father, he became the lead dad to his two sons at a time when talking openly about the role while ascending the corporate ladder was just not done. He would leave for work extra early in the morning so he could make it home for dinner with his boys. He credits a boss at Aon, a working mom, with understanding his situation. Fast forward to today, he's the CEO of a company that offers and encourages remote work. Employees still come together for key meetings and projects, but allowing People to work where they are has allowed him to attract top talent from around the country. Chris, welcome to the Company of Dads podcast. Thank you, Paul, happy to be here. Take us back to that time um, in 2005 when you became the go-to parent for your boys. What was it like? What do you remember most from from those, those years?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, as you described, That was an interesting year. I got divorced. I lost my job. uh, I had to put my dog to sleep. I felt like it was like a country music song, uh, a a really bad country music song. And those events, in in and of themselves, each one of them uh, can be really disruptive, both um, professionally and uh, personally in so many ways. And so when I look back at that time, you know, I reflect on, you know, just a lot of challenges and feeling really challenged about the circumstances uh at the time the funny thing is that job was the pinnacle job of my career at the time I mean it was the job I always wanted i was ceo of a uh, 2500 person consulting firm uh professional services firm and it was what what i hoped to accomplish in in my career and then you know that went away uh, as well as my my 10 year marriage so suddenly i was there as a single dad, uh, the primary caretaker of, you know, two boys who were uh, at the time, uh, you know, five, six years old. Uh, it was, it was certainly a challenging time.
0: Yeah. But pretty quickly, you you find another job. Uh, you start doing well again, but still, you said it was tough for you to discuss being uh, a single dad at work or bringing that, you know, home persona to work. Why was that the case back then? Yeah, I think it was uh, a choice
1: that I made
0: that I didn't want
1: uh, people to perceive that I I was any less connected, uh, committed, uh, ambitious at work than I'd ever been before, even when I wasn't the primary caretaker for these two children. Uh, I wanted people to see me as fully engaged at work, uh, fully contributing and uh, doing my best and doing my all. So I never really had an open discussion with my boss or peers about you know my being a single dad i think people knew but it was never a topic of conversation that i pursued uh strongly or felt like needed to be talked about in an open sort of fashion i was working i was you know climbing the corporate ladder and i was continuing to do you know my thing at the office and so that felt most important to me and that's what i was doing
0: you know, it sounds odd for me to say this in, in 2023, but uh, we know from the research that your instinct was was correct. That, you know, pre-pandemic, men who raised their hand at work to be, you know, what we call lead dads, to be go-to parents, fully present parents, they were often penalized. And they were penalized because they were seen as insufficiently committed to their jobs. While, you know, to listen to your sure, you and I have talked in the past, uh, you may have been even more committed. You may have been even more focused because you had to balance so many different things. You had to balance your kids and your work. When you look back, how did you make that work? Because you had, you know, a shorter commute in, in, in the morning and uh, a slightly longer commute, uh, in the afternoon, depending on when you're able to, to get home. How did you make those, those two worlds work during those years?
1: Yeah, I've uh, I've told this, this story in uh, some sessions when I talk with people about what should matter to them at work. Uh, I talk a lot about priorities. At that time in my life, it became super clear to me that the demands of my job and the demands at home would create a scenario where I could only afford to have two priorities. Uh, and that was being fully present at work when I was working, and being fully present with my kids when i was with my kids and i specifically decided that these were the only two priorities that i would pursue i didn't golf i didn't date uh i didn't go out a lot i made the priority being these two children now the good news is i had a a group of friends who i was very close with who had kids of the same age and that created a great little um A great little community for myself and my two boys at the time and but prioritizing was the key to success being able to say what matters and what doesn't matter in this particular season of my life and for about a 10-year period a a pretty good 10-year run those were the two things that i made my highest priority and i really kind of pushed out everything else that could potentially consume my time my energy or my passion
0: you know, looking back, you know, the old, you know, hindsight's 2020, 20, you, you made it work. You made it work for, for, for 10 years. But what were the moments when it was, you know, difficult to sustain that that almost binary life? And, and when you had those moments that were difficult, who did you turn to somebody? How did you get through it? How did you, you keep pressing on? Because, you know, you look back, you know, OK, oh, yeah, I did it for 10 years. You could do it. But you didn't know it was going to end at 10 years. You know, this is only yeah. when we look back yeah. that we, we have that frame.
1: Yeah, I had a very strong group of men in my life at that point. Uh, So we met uh, on a fairly regular basis, sort of a, you know, a good discussion group, men's group, uh, all fathers, all, you know, doing their very best to be great dads uh, in their own rights. And being in that circle of people really helped in a lot of ways. Uh, it was a, a good foundation for and a good community to be a part of with my two boys. And so I didn't feel alone in it. I was also very connected to my church at the time, uh, and, uh, and got a lot of encouragement from the relationships that I had there as well. And so the combination of those things made me feel not alone in it, uh, if you will. And so, um, uh, and by the way, work was a great community as well. Uh, I, I enjoyed my relationships with the people that uh, I was working with at that uh, that decade in my life. I had a great and understanding set of uh, series of bosses at the time. And, you know, so like when you have people around you, uh, that makes that kind of single mindedness about priority really work.
0: What, what was happening in the moment you, 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 meet your, your second wife. Um, she has three kids, uh, your boys are older at that point. It seems like, you know, just a a totally different phase in your life. But what, what do you think made it possible either, you know, uh, work wise or family wise for you to sort of, um, you know, make that transition from, from single, you know, lead dad to, you know, dad and, and stepfather and, and, and husband again
1: yeah it was uh again timing is uh timing's a gift kids were getting older uh i often joke that uh every year of my kids life from the time they were two years old to the time they were 16 years old got better every year was just like i enjoyed that era even more and then when they get their driver's license something happens relationally from my perspective uh i don't know maybe it's just a boy thing i raised two boys i came from a family with three uh three sons so i don't really i didn't know girls very well i didn't know daughters at all uh but like so the boys turned 16 i think that opens up you know time for me and it opens up opportunity for me to do uh and think about other things i am uh i have a great relationship Uh, with my now wife and uh, it opened up the opportunity for us to spend more time together. And so that turned into, you know, a marriage and it turned into my picking up three bonus kids and included in that two daughters who've taught me a lot about being a dad from a different perspective.
0: And a dog, Chris, you forgot that you got a dog back, right? And I
1: got the dog. Yeah. So (laughs) I got I got a new job. I got a new CEO job uh, about the same time, same year that I got married, 2017. Uh, So 2017, I get remarried. I get a new CEO gig, better than the gig I had, you know, a decade earlier. Uh, And my wife brings a dog with her, which was uh, absolutely a bonus as well.
0: And you said that you've used that experience, which I find so inspiring to talk to people that, you know, life is not a a straight line up or, 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 or down, that there's... You know variability to it and and we're going to all have have struggles in our life and if, if we have support that that will help hopefully help us get through those struggles you know talk about how you you often you know use that with with some of your employees to discuss you know your personal experience and, and how it's informed you know your your professional work
1: yeah i you know i've come to really love a redemption story uh, a story where something that was a challenge or uh, a really difficult time in uh, in life becomes a real story about uh, overcoming, a real story about success. And I've seen that in my own personal life, and I've seen that in the lives of others. And I love that kind of storyline of something that was hard becomes something that was that that was awesome. Sometimes being at the bottom, rising to the top feels even better when you've risen out of the bottom. Uh, And so I've seen a little bit of that in my life. My career trajectory has by no means been an up and to the right storyline. I've had difficulties at multiple times in my career. Uh, And, you know, what I have found is, you know, staying true to yourself, staying true to the way that you lead. Leadership is a a really important um, characteristic and value for me and what i have found is if i stay true to my beliefs about leadership uh in the way i show up at work uh my career tends to follow up into the right sort of path now uh it's not always going in that direction but uh overall on a macro level it seems to be always going in that direction
0: yeah you know a year into the pandemic um you get your current job which is a ceo of Virgin Pulse, a healthcare company in the tech tech space. And, you know, it's we don't really know what's happening. You've gone through the first wave of the pandemic. You know, nobody's quite sure where things are going, but you do what any CEO would would do pre-pandemic. You move from Chicago, the greater Chicago area where you live, to Providence, Rhode Island, where the company is based, um, fully expecting people to return to work. And that doesn't quite happen. So Pick up the story from there. What what do you do? You've moved to Providence. You know, uh, pizza's not as good as it is in Chicago, but the lobster rolls are a lot better. But here you are expecting to lead in person, and that doesn't happen. So, how do you adapt to to what was going on?
1: Yeah, I'm a I'm a showing up guy Uh, in in general. That's kind of my style. I'm, I'm a show up early and generally stay late kind of person. And so, in April of 2021. I think I'm going to start showing up and people are also going to start showing up. But then wave two of uh, the COVID situation comes and it starts to become clear that people are going to be more reticent to come back to the office after wave two. Uh, The other thing that happened during that time frame is I replaced a lot of my leadership team. And in order to get the best talent, the best possible talent, I didn't you know just focus on the northeast i didn't just focus on uh, new england i focused on where can i get the very best talent and we did an acquisition and we picked up some talent from that so now my leadership team is actually spread out around the country i have three people who happen to live on the west coast i have one in denver i have a person in atlanta i think there are three in the new england area so now my leadership team becomes this much more geographically diverse leadership team and so now I've got people who are reticent to come back to the office. We're predominantly a tech company that is you know, really capable of delivering productivity from anywhere. And I've got a leadership team that doesn't sit in a single hallway in Providence. And so what becomes clear is there's a need to lead differently. There's a need to show up in different sorts of ways and so you know i started writing a blog we are doing regular town halls we're finding uh, other ways to communicate with people and continue to establish a culture that we're really proud of that we think really makes a difference uh despite the fact that there's not a huge core of people gathered in a single office on a daily basis now people are coming back here and there for Team meetings were for uh, for teams that happen to be in the Providence Marketplace, they're coming into the office and we're using that headquarters location really well to unite people. But fundamentally, we really shifted our orientation with the expectation of our employee base to make sure that we're delivering the very best employee experience to them uh, and all the other dynamics that come with with being an organization post-COVID.
0: You know, looking back, it all makes complete sense. But you're really a forward-thinking CEO to have been able to to do this. I mean, adapting under pressure is what any great CEO needs to do. But you're adapting into a world that we'd never seen before. This wasn't something that we, you know, could have imagined doing before COVID. Certainly not anything you did in your career to to that date. You know, being in in Chicago, what allowed you to think differently? What allowed you to sort of see the future of work before you know it was really fully formed before other ceos were were seeing this this crucial need to adapt
1: yeah i don't know if i beat any other ceos to the punch but we early on formed a team of people to talk about the future of work um being a human capital company we care about human capital issues uh pretty pretty greatly and so we formed this team and they helped kind of take the temperature of the organization understand sort of what people's thinking was at that time there were also a number of surveys going on in the broader environment in 21 about what the future of work looked like and so we were also students of what was going on in the broader you know uh, the broader professional community and from those things we sort of started to adopt and adapt uh adopt new things and adapt our our previous thinking about where we were taking the company. And so it was really listening more than anything else that enabled us to go figure out how do we go thread that needle. And then it's also a matter of trust in a lot of ways, Paul. It's trusting your leaders to lead well. It's trusting your people to do the right thing. Uh, and so I had a little moment of doubt at one point when when a lot of articles were being written written about quiet quitting. I had these moments of doubt, like, "Hey, am I doing the right thing? Am I, uh, am I accepting the possibility of quiet quitting and mediocrity? When, if that's really going on, should I be really concerned?" And I spent a lot of time, personal time, just sort of thinking about that topic. And the conclusion I came to, uh, and maybe this is a little bit of a full circle moment: people generally want to do the right thing. It's my core belief that people in organizations generally want to do the right thing. And people need to balance work and life. And they've always need to balance, always needed to do that. That's not a new phenomenon. They need to balance work and life. And there were times in my life, you know, I'll go back to 2006, 2007, when my balance of work and life might have been a little bit different than it looked like in 2010, 11, 12, and I was making trade-offs. And I came to the conclusion that quiet quitting was just work-life balance, which was just people who want to do the right thing, who are adults making good decisions, making some trade-offs in their life in the seasons that they need to make. And so I got comfortable despite the concept of quiet quitting. And now, look, the pendulum has swung back. People are leaving their jobs less. They're doubling down in their commitment. Uh, And I think that's again, little adjustments and work-life balance types of scenarios. And so it's made me feel great about the culture that we're creating at Virgin Pulse uh, and about what we're trying to do with respect to, you know, working remotely in in our environment.
0: And, you know, obviously the the people are saying uh, you made this work, but was there a moment when you knew that you'd hit a tipping point when the feedback and the productivity were such that you said, okay, this was worth the risk. It doesn't look like a risk in retrospect, because, you know, the companies that are getting beaten up now are the ones who are requiring everybody to go back into the office a certain number of days a week. And that just gets people to sort of, you know, we're both dog people. You know, we talk about, I sometimes talk about donkey dog, where they put their paws down and there's no way you're going to pull them forward. Um, you you avoided that. People, you know, you were a real leader and 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 people bought into your leadership style. But was there a tipping point where you said, you know what, Chris, you made the right decision. This is, this is going to work and hey i get to move back to chicago and get to have some better pizza um i
1: by the way i really love a good lobster roll just to be super clear but um (laughs)
0: you
1: know we did an employee engagement survey and uh i'd set a goal that you know we we would top a particular percentage of engagement for uh for the year 2022 and we did top that number and almost a little to my surprise i'm um one of those leaders who's always setting sort of stretch goals and you you know you go hey i'm going to put it out there and let's see what happens yeah. and we overachieved that now i'm not saying we have the most engaged culture in the world but i think the progress we made in a year where we came through covid uh in a year where we changed out most of the senior leaders in the organization creating a a, a lot of change in a year where I launched a fairly ambitious set of strategic and corporate initiatives and objectives, uh, it was it was a year of massive change and, and effort and uh, and demand from the employee base. And in that year, we topped the engagement score that I had set for our goal, and it made me convinced that the work we were doing, predominantly around bringing talent in around our culture and around specific human capital initiatives, we're making a difference in shaping the kind of company we wanted to be. And so um, I felt great about it. I know my head of HR felt great about it. She's doing an absolutely fantastic job in that regard, Uh, and we're shaping the kind of company we want to be. Every town hall, for example, we have three principles that we cover in every town hall. We talk about our purpose, changing lives for good, and we tell stories about, how we're actually doing that as a company. We talk about people uh, and how people matter to us, in particular, three people, our clients, our members that are on our platform and our employees. And we we specifically talk about what we're doing for those three important stakeholder groups. And then we talk about performance uh, because I wanted to bring a more performance orientation into the organization and we talk about specific results and metrics that are important to the company i think we've created a company that is uniting around our purpose that is committed to our performance and recognizes that we value people and to me that has made an enormous difference at virgin pulse over the course of the last two years
0: chris this has been a wonderful conversation and i'm grateful for your time one one last question you know when you there are a lot of CEOs out there who publicly have said that they're hesitant, you know, to go to this the model that 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 you have, that they really want people to go back in the office three, four, five days a week. What can you, you share with them? What can you share with them about how you were able to make this work um for the good of everyone and, and how they perhaps could just make a few small changes in the way they think and lead that that could make it work for their companies as well?
1: I don't know that I have a particular, you know, unique perspective on that particular topic. I think every company is different and every company has different expectations and orientation. I happen to run a SaaS based technology company, lots of engineers, lots of product people. When they need to be together, it's when they want to do creative work. But otherwise, a lot of times you're head down doing the work that you need to contribute to the organization. Um, And we've been able to make, you know, for the most part, make that work for most of our employees, by the way, not every employee is remote. And and by the way, I should say we have a massive offshore capability uh, in, in Europe where everybody in that office is in the office. We have 550 people in that office who are plugging away every day in the office, and that is working for them. They feel great about what they're doing in that regard but in our you know very geographically dispersed us population you know my view is we've gotten amazing talent and i feel that from the top all the way to the bottom i feel like you know the top of our organization i've been able to you know build in a tremendous team by being flexible about where people work and i'm applying that principle to every level of the organization let's go get the very best talent who contribute at the highest possible level, and let's bring them into this company to make the company really great. And that is really working. Now, I'm also, at the same time, really encouraging. Be in the office for things that really matter. Last week, we had 250 of our commercial leaders in the office collaborating around how do we you know, best sell our solutions? How do we build customer centricity uh, in the way that we serve customers? That that had to happen face to face and so we spent three days together face to face now people have gone back out in into their uh their home environment i think we're getting the best of both worlds opportunities to be together to unite as teams to do work that has to happen face to face while we're getting the very best talent by letting people work from home uh, and and it's working and so um yeah it, it's been a good story for us and i'm happy
0: about the culture that we're creating. Chris Mahalik, CEO of Virgin Pulse. Thank you again for being my guest on the Company of Dads podcast. Thank you, Paul. It was great being here. Thank you for listening to the Company of Dads podcast. I also want to thank the people who make this podcast and everything else that we do with the Company of Dads possible. Helder Mira, who is our audio producer. Lindsay Decker, who handles all of our social media. Terry Brennan, who's helping us with the newsletter and audience acquisition. Emily Servin, who is our web maestro. And of course, Evan Roosevelt, who is working side-by-side with me in many of the things that we do here at The Company of Dads. It's a great team, um, and we're, we're just trying to bring you the best in fatherhood. Remember, the one-stop shop for everything is our newsletter, The Dad. Sign up at thecompanyofdads.com backslash dad. Thank you again for listening.